Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I am joined as always with my incredible co-host Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello Biagio! Ciao a tutti! Welcome, welcome to another great episode. For this episode, The Gateway is going to explore ways to cultivate a culture of giving in a company. To help us do that, we are happy to have Henry Heisler. As a general manager at Proficient, Henry has executive leadership and PL responsibilities for the California market, including leading sales and consulting teams, operations, as well as stewardship of Proficient's award-winning company culture. With over 20 years of experience working at the intersection of technology and business, Henry is passionate about creating transformative values for clients by aligning people, process, and technology to the business strategies and objectives. Henry also serves as chair of Proficient's newest employee resource group, the Giving ERG which is focused on employee volunteering and support for meaningful charity causes and inspiring further enthusiasm and action across Proficient's global organization. Henry, welcome to The Gateway. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, guys. Looking forward to the conversation. Yes, sir. Okay. So I always like to start these episodes right at the beginning of everything at the beginning. So can you give me a little bit of background? How how did you get to where you are now? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I will say that, um, <laughs> like most people, <laughs> probably a bit of a winding path. It's not really point A to point B. Um, for me, I was always kind of interested in technology uh, dating back to, you know, being in my parents' basement with like an Apple II computer, uh, goofing around with video games and not really understand what's going on back in the, the early 80s. Um, but uh, yeah, took some classes during high school uh, on coding. Um, it was a little bit, uh, a, a little uncommon, I guess I would say back then. Uh, we had programming courses. The internet was just kind of becoming more broad. The web sort of hadn't really come out. It was kind of new. And I was just curious about it. So uh, ended up at landing at NIU and um, kind of fell into the OMIS program as a nice balance and blend between uh, business-centric topics, which I kind of uh, always gravitated towards, and technology. So that was a good fit for me. Um, but yeah, I would say over my career, I kind of started out in tech, uh, writing code as a developer, uh, went and worked briefly for a startup doing sales and marketing, bounced back into technology and consulting and uh, in various different kinds of roles have been doing that ever since. Well, so Henry, I, I, I absolutely love that because I, when, when I think of tech, you know, and, and you hear media and, and news articles and people kind of referring to tech, it's either I'm coding and I'm a computer science engineer or I'm not tech at all and even what you just kind of talked about now within bouncing around a little bit kind of exploring it's been different than that right absolutely so for me you know I um 
I can't speak for everyone, but for me, I've always kind of appreciated and latched on to the ways you could use technology to solve a business problem or to fix something or, uh, you know, overcome a challenge. Um, and so I've, I've worked with folks that prefer kind of the heads down, writing code, solving challenges from a technical standpoint. And I've worked with folks that uh, prefer to be on the, I guess you could say, business analysis end of the spectrum, understanding what the problem is that's being solved or the challenge that's being addressed. Um, and I kind of liked being in the middle of those two worlds and having that technology background um, and the foundation par partially, you know, that I learned at NIU, uh, you know, in terms of like writing code, structuring code, the way applications are architected, uh, but also being able to sit down and talk about uh, the economics or the ROI of a project or an initiative and like, what is it actually accomplishing? Uh, because on its own, a business initiative without the proper kind of these days, technical underpinnings is not gonna be successful, but you can write the, 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 the most beautiful code in the world. And if it's not addressing an actual business challenge, it's probably not gonna go very far. So for me, the folks that I've worked with over the years and the people I work with and the clients I work with today, uh, that can kind of understand a bit about both and align the two together, uh, tend to enjoy their work the most and be the most successful. Harry, thank you for this. Like, honestly, uh, this is pretty much what I tell my students in the beginning of every semester, is like people that are like in information system or OMIS, I've kind of seen the lights ahead of time, just because like you are connecting two very important words and words that, you know, if you, pick them in silos, I'm not sure they're going to be able to communicate. If you pick like super technical people, like computer and science people where they worry about, uh, you know, algorithm optimization and people that take business decision and uh, they put it in the same room, I'm not sure they're going to be able to communicate. But uh, with OMIS, you, you really get kind of a sense of the two words. Uh, you get some those those technical skills there really becoming very important to us. Understanding the technology is becoming extremely important nowadays and also you have the business knowledge that can help you in you know translating uh those findings of that pretty code that you were talking about with uh, you know the decision that a business needs to make based on the, the, those analysis uh again i i hope that you know people listening to you they will listen more than when i say those stuff because you know <laughs> they tend not to listen to professor as much as uh, they do uh, to students. One uh, one one thing I'm I'm curious about is uh, you know how much have you experienced that? How much you have experienced uh, sometimes the inability of people from different uh, side? You know the super technical one with the business one uh, in your real life in your real world. Uh, uh, just to clarify, so. How often have experienced what? Them not necessarily being able to understand like the being, opposite being, side of the being spectrum. The bridge, being the bridge, pretty much mm. uh, sometimes uh, in an organization, just because you have that kind of blend of skills. Yeah. Uh, other than being, you know, super just code, uh, being able to code only or just being able to make, uh, to understand uh, business decision. Yeah. Well, so great question. Um, I'm glad you asked. So I will say that it, uh, the the generic, the joke we always say is that the consulting answer to every question is it depends or maybe. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, yeah. having worked within companies in IT, but now for the last 
uh, 16, 17 years being in uh, consulting firms ranging from a huge company like Accenture to a really small firm uh, that was in Chicago that was acquired by the company I work for now called Proficient, which is more medium-sized. We have about 7,500 people around the world. Um, the skills that you need to have really vary by what your role is and then also what's valued within that organization. So to, to answer your question more directly and specifically, some of the companies that we do work for are high-tech firms. So they're household names that are building some of the most uh, popular social networking platforms uh, out in the world today, or they're building software that other companies are, are licensing and using in their day-to-day -day work. And some of the people, and I know this because I've worked with some of them, some of the people that work in the engineering or programming uh, groups within those firms are very, very, very deep technically. And they're probably way less interested in, nor do they need to have as much knowledge on the business side of, um, of the company that they're working for. And because of the demands of their role and that company or the expectations or the norms, it works. I've also seen with companies that we work with, people that are brilliant marketers or they are incredible uh, financial minds and they have zero interest in kind of the way the the bolts and nuts uh, fit together behind the scenes, the way that an application is architected and built. Uh, they just want it to work and they care about the business outcomes or the, the, the functions and features that they're able to use to accomplish whatever they're doing. And for them in their role, it seems to work. But I will say that, and I'm a bit jaded or biased because mm -hmm. that's where I sit, the people that seem the most capable of bringing together and building that bridge, bringing together different audiences or silos, whether they're in consulting or in, in private business, um, are the people who have a bit of the ability to range into each world. Most of the, most of the executives that are in a non-technical role at almost every large company today uh, still have some level of technical depth. Um, it's not, you know, the days of throwing a requirement over the fence to uh, the technology side of the team or IT or a consulting firm and just waiting for something to pop out of the black box are long gone. So I think yeah. that that would be, that, that's my perspective. And, you know, as I've chatted with new hires to our company straight out of college, we also do uh, tech boot camps for people that are doing career changes as I've welcomed people into the organization. That's been my, uh, one of the key pieces of advice I've offered, which is, no matter what your focus is, if you're a, a coder, you're writing code, you're a developer, understand, ask why. That's the main thing, just ask mm -hmm. why. Why are we building this thing? What's the system supposed to do? What's the end result that we're aiming towards? And vice versa, if you're on the business side, it's good to have a little bit of depth and not just be focused on you know, whatever the business imperative is that you're focused on too. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Now then... Henry, as we're talking tech and, and business size and, and all of that, that balance in there, uh, there's then another element where I think you, you kind of find yourself in, in your current role dealing a little bit more, at least having an element of it, of the human side of the actual employees, the human resources, and trying to, and I, and I apologize if I'm, I'm incorrect in my assumption here, but really trying to, to build something 
other than just a space to come in and, and get a paycheck to to do something more to give back to 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 do that am i even close to to where you're at henry i'm sorry if i am not no russ you're right on the money so all right <laughs> um again i will say that uh like it depends or uh the other <laughs> the other expression people will use is your mileage may vary for, for my for my preference though i prefer to a work with people who i learn from be in a culture where uh, it's a bit of a meritocracy, where you you kind of uh, hold your fate in your own hands. Um, and if you're a strong performer, that gets recognized and where people want to help one another, right? It's a supportive, inclusive culture. And, and uh, you know, I graduated NIU about 20 years ago. Um, I have colleagues that are uh, further along in their career than I am and colleagues that are just now finishing an undergrad program um, and were, were where I was quite a long time ago. And the consistent thing that I see in those people that um, at least the folks that I like working with are they're seeking a bit more, right? They're not there to just get a paycheck to punch in and punch out. And, and granted, everyone has a different life situation and everyone has different preferences. But by and large, I think everyone in life wants to do something that's a bit more meaningful, spend their day, their time uh, immersed in a culture or in an environment where they have the ability to learn, contribute, and feel valued. So for me, a huge part of my business um, as the general manager for the company I work for is not just on making sure that we land new client relationships, that we land new big initiatives and projects for them that drives revenue, um, but it's making sure that we have that kind of culture and community in California where I am now. Um, you know, So we do all kinds of different social events from like a bowling outing to a golf outing or a picnic or a game day at the office to uh, various uh, volunteering initiatives where kind of give back and do things that are a bit uh, more meaningful um, to others in the community. So again, you know, there's many different elements to culture, but I was kind of raised and, and uh, uh, brought up family-wise even around companies that really care about their employees. And, uh, you know, that's the reason I've, still been at the company I'm at today for 12 years is that that's integral to how we do things. Yeah, Ross and Henry, thank you for that. I think also uh, now that you mentioned that you are in California, I have to ask this question. <laughs> I, I know there's <laughs> going to be a lot of buzz around AI right now over there. And, and you know, if, if you go in the uh, workspace and you start thinking about joining a company just to get a paycheck, I, I think you will be soon replaceable. Uh, by that little thing called AI. And, and if you don't bring some additional things to the table, uh, which at this point, I think I think is what the human can do with, with critical thinking, empathy and stuff like that. Uh, I think you will find very difficult to find a job. Is, is that, am, am I that off or am I so, so much, you know, overestimating what AI can do or is, is that far from your reality? Uh, no, Biagio, I, I would agree with um, what you just said. I mean, many, many of the companies that we work with are uh, exploring, uh, you know, AI is, is a hot topic and it has been for a while. They've been mm -hmm. toying with it for a while. Most of the, the companies we work with, some to more advanced extents than others. Now the, you know, the hot topic is generative AI. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, I would say that like one of the things that I see as, uh, an area that human beings still have 
and probably will always have, and maybe I'm short-sighted in that, a huge edge over technology is there are like leaps that you can make as a creative thinker that a computer uh, today may not be able to to take. And, and frankly, a computer's never going to be able to replace kind of that in-person, hands-on brainstorming element that you can get with coworkers and colleagues uh, or customers for that matter. And so um, I would say that just in general, uh, as a as a, a feature or a, a core part of what you do every single day, I think that question asking why versus just taking mm. an order and filling it um, as a yeah. computer might is really key to, you know, being valued and providing value to whoever it is you're working with. And that that's certainly something that AIs aren't doing today is asking why they just fill up, take the order that you've, you've put in or the, the query and spit out an answer. Yeah, prompt engineer. <laughs> you exactly. Make prompt and they get you the answer. Exactly. So, so then, Henry, when I, I feel like you have a, a unique perspective with with your experience here because you you get the tech, you come from that background, you you have all of those stuff there. You're you're also working on creating the environment where people come and 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 find value but also maybe some additional elements with all of that stuff um what do you then look for when when you're hiring someone maybe out of college or even a career changer like all all of that stuff are there specific attributes that you're like ah that that i need in everyone or is it again um going back to the consulting line you know it varies yeah no so great question uh, and I, I would say this goes for experienced tires as well as folks uh, coming out of, you know, OMIS or any other college program is uh, the aptitude to learn and grow. So very infrequently are we looking for a 100% finished product, polished diamond that you're just going to put on a shelf and never change. Um, and I say that kind of half jokingly, but I would not necessarily be as keen on hiring someone uh, who was never going to grow or expand or change what they were either good at or what they were interested mm-hmm. in, mainly because in technology, everything's always changing. When I graduated from NIU, mm-hmm. my first job was writing uh, VB6 code uh, for an IBM uh, backend mainframe. And VB6 doesn't really exist anymore. This is before mm-hmm. ASP even came out. And so things just every single year from a tech standpoint are changing. Things are rapidly changing in the business world. So whether you have a role that's technical or not, the main thing that I look for is people who are flexible, have an intellectual curiosity, um, and are willing to and interested in learning. And I would say that one of the skills that I value really highly is um, just personal personal interaction skills and um, communication skills. Because if someone has that aptitude to learn and a desire to learn and a hunger to learn that's intrinsic, it's inside of them, we can teach them whether it's writing code or business analysis or architecture, you name it. Um, and there's someone that, you know, you would want on your team to grow with. So that's what I really look for, Russ. See, I, and, I really in, Russ, enjoy that. And I'm sorry, Biagio. Yeah, go ahead. I really enjoy I, that answer because I think a lot of people, you know, it, it it's some of those intangible things, but there's there's also those hard things of like you need to be willing to learn and grow within that. Biagio, I cut you off. I apologize. All yours. No, no, no. You, you know that's uh, that's one kind of like my favorite things to hear. Like when people looks for people that like to learn or love to learn, 
as as again as as a professor i i think that's the most important thing you you go to school to learn new skills to learn uh how to do things that can be useful in work but then doesn't end there like i think after my phd i realized i didn't know many things and i need to keep studying and keep learning uh and i will never stop learning it's it's just as as Harry said there are gonna be new things coming up now now you need to learn how to write prompt or you need to learn how to interact with this uh, gpt4 and and things like that it's just it's just a never-ending cycle and i'm so glad that people like in every position uh, kind of share the same uh, view with like the importance of people being highly motivated uh, to learn. Uh, it's uh, it's it's rare and so much there is so much focus on GPA and I'm kind of worried like what is Harry perspective on GPA and things like that. But but to <laughs> me, when I see people like I wanted to learn this topic and even if they got a B in my class, uh, I will take them in a project and let them keep learning if they are willing to rather than just keep the student that take straight A's and they, they just in class for the grade. Yeah, so, uh, well, so <laughs> I can tell you, uh, I did not have a 4.0 at Northern. Um, <laughs> I, I, I made a, a point to, and I was a transfer student. So I kind of went through my own little career uh, journey in terms of higher education. Um, and I would just say that like, nobody's perfect, whether it's your GPA, your personal life or anything. Um, you know, I think people actually learn from the challenges or mistakes along the way, or hopefully they do. Um, and certainly I, I, I can tell you when we interview students, so I'm, I'm in Southern California, we do college recruiting around the country and our, our team will usually be recruiting out of some of the University of California school systems. So, or, or out of the UC system. So uh, UC Irvine is pretty close to our office. And when we interview uh, for college hiring roles, I'm not really paying so much attention to the GPA. I'm more paying attention to how does this person present themselves? Do they ask good questions? Do they have a, um, a presence that conveys, uh, I wouldn't even say confidence because I was shaken in my boots interviewing uh, <laughs> for internships and for jobs as an undergrad. Uh, but more just someone who has that curiosity I was describing about the world and is really genuinely interested in learning and is a good listener. Um, so I would say that for me, the GPA is probably a little less important than having some core things that you can put on paper and then more importantly, like convey in person um, that describe who you are and what you're all about. Thank you. And, and I, I think also like nowadays you have so many opportunities to kind of showcase beyond what you put on CV, like just putting a link to your GitHub repositories. If you are a technical, apply for a technical position, just showcase what you can do with the software that you are putting in the resume rather than just, you know, writing your GPA and say, oh, I'm very good at Python or very good at R. And, and then you kind of miss the point of, as you said, like show what you are about, what you can do. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yes, and it's funny that you say that. I was just offering some uh, resume coaching to a, a customer who has uh, a kid that's graduating and is looking for a job. And uh, you know, this initial draft of the resume didn't necessarily have uh, too many things highlighted, either technical or non-technical, as skills or experiences that they had. 
But my advice was to, along the lines of what you just said, Biagio, like, mm-hmm. take the things that you're passionate about or that you care about or that you can describe that are not a bullet on a resume and apply those to, let's say, the objective or describe the experience that you do have in a way that complements what your strengths and interests are. So if you're someone that likes presenting and talking to people, if you really like brainstorming, if you like taking uh, what someone else has described as important to them and kind of repackaging that and saying, well, here's what I heard. And again, that's that sounds kind of businessy, but we all do that in our everyday life as mm-hmm. we interact with people. We'll say, you know, Russ, did I hear you correctly? I think you said blank, whether it's making plans to go watch a game or get dinner and you just apply that to what you're trying to do. And I think that starts to then take, again, not necessarily a GPA, but more the innate personal skills that you have or interests and shows how they could be applicable in a business setting. See, now when, when I'm hearing all of that stuff, like that, that makes 100% sense, but even what Biagio is bringing up, I, I start, and, and maybe this is my own personal fears and trepidations and insecurities that I've built with. But um, as I, as I think about AI and I think about all of those things, I I wonder, are, are you Henry thinking that that those skills, those those human elements, are going to be the only thing that's going to be important? Or I'm really struggling to to kind of frame my question here because the, there's things that we do as humans within our work. You know, the actual the work things, going on to Excel, doing the stuff that we feel validated in and we have that stuff there um and then we have those higher level processes where we're creative and and manipulating all of that stuff um are, are we going to potentially not have any of those those i guess you could say more um mundane tasks is is that something that you're thinking of and then it's only going to be the people that can think at high high level and very complex things or or where are you at and there's no right answer to this one henry i barely got the question out so (laughs) thanks for bearing with me yeah well biagio is the one with the phd on this call not me so i will defer to his expertise but i mean there's almost like a philosophical side to this question and um i think you phrased it actually in a really good way russ which is yeah, th- those higher level functions or, or ways of uh, carrying out your life, the things you're doing, I don't see necessarily, and this is my sort of, you know, two cents view of the world. I don't see a day in the near future um, where computers are going to start doing that, right? We don't have um, uh, an, a, an awareness like a computer is going to completely replace a person. But I guess from what I've seen, and again, I'm not either like a, a futurist, but um, I think there's still going to be a huge need for human beings to understand the way technology works, to build uh, things using technology, kind of using the the tools that are available. And the way I look at AI is, um, broadly, I guess I would say, is it will help to build almost an abstraction layer between the, the systems and the tools that we use to build things and the needs that they're addressing. So what I mean by that is instead of having, uh, you know, like a toolbox filled with wrenches and screwdrivers and ratchets and, you know, fasteners of all kinds and sizes, and then, you know, a vehicle sitting in your driveway, 
you might have a computer or I guess in that analogy, something that, you know, well, you'll say, you know, the, the engine is making an X sound and instead of just reaching in the toolbox and having to pull out like a specific sized socket and ratchet and all that, you're going to be able to have like something that's a layer up from that, which is, oh, here's the three ways that we typically address that issue. Um, and it may be a simpler task, let's say, if we transition it back over to uh, AI and code to actually writing software. So you're less, you're less focused on each individual line of code uh, and more focused on kind of how the code is structured and how the application is structured and engineered. Um, and I, so, I, so that still takes like a human being and some critical thinking that a machine may not have. Right. Um, so I, I guess that's the way I look at it is, you know, there's still going to be, I don't think we're, we're necessarily coming up on the, the age or the era of people <laughs> being able to just pursue all their creative thoughts and ideas and dreams while machines do all the work. Um, right. And if they are, then I'm probably going to be out of job pretty quickly here in consulting. <laughs> so I'm hoping that's not the case. Um, but that's the way I see things, at least for us. Awesome. Okay, that makes sense. I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm gonna adopt your 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 perspective there. It made me feel a little bit better. <laughs> I mean, Russ, the the question that you ask is is kind of like a million dollar question in the sense that it's <laughs> it's difficult to give an answer as of right now. It's we will have some other episode on AI, and there's gonna be people that also know uh, a thing or two more than me. But for what I've been seeing, uh, it's 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 a lot going on and they can do a lot of tasks that uh, normally you will think a human will do and they can do it faster. And if they don't do it, I mean, if you still, so this is the thing, like if you think it's gonna completely replace you, I think you are wrong, but you need to uh, be able to use it uh, efficiently and effectively as any software, any technology tool, in my opinion, that's the key, like effectiveness and efficiency. Uh, if you do that, it, it will make your life easier. All those tedious tasks that you were doing before, you're not going to have to repeat them. So you can be more productive. Uh, you will have time to be more creative. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Steve Jobs says that computers are bicycle for the mind. And, you know, AI is probably going to be a Ferrari for your mind. So it is... I think that's the key. I think you cannot just take it as, oh, you know, it's not for my job. Or it's not going to replace my job. Uh, it will challenge it. Uh, I've seen crazy things. I've seen people giving $100 and starting a company and build marketing campaign and, and crazy things, honestly. Uh, impressive. Uh, I don't think it's going to take every job in, in five to 10 years, but I think you can make every job much better. Uh, if every learns how to use it uh, efficiently and effectively, that's that's my two cents. I I know we will have an episode on that, but that's, that's <laughs> yeah, that fun. sounds like an that sounds like an episode I'm gonna have to listen into. Um, <laughs> but it's I mean it's it's definitely really interesting. I think you said it well, Biagio, and um, you know there are uh, there are leaps or connections that we can make. Uh, seeing more broadly versus an application sitting in a, you know, a cloud um, instance somewhere isn't going to be able to. And the example I give is, you know, we, um, we work with a ton of the uh, large global automotive manufacturers or OEMs or, or original equipment manufacturers. So all the companies that make vehicles that we drive around on the streets, trucks as well, 
um, we and many other consulting firms work for them. So one of the projects that we worked on uh, that's been out there live in the wild for a while is a conversational chatbot or conversational AI uh, based not on the latest generative AI like chat GPT technology. Okay. Um, and it will help users more effectively search for a vehicle. So you might say, um, you know, what is the most fuel efficient SUV in this lineup that also has a third row of seats? And what, you know, does it come in front wheel drive, rear or all wheel drive? And so the intent is to help provide a second option that is not necessarily using uh, browse or build in mm -hmm. price tools that are pretty ubiquitous on auto sites. So what I'll say is the example for kind of backing up what you just said, Biagio, if I was a computer or an AI engine, I might say, what's a better way to answer these questions and, and, and make recommendations to that user? If I was a human being several steps back removed from the process, but familiar with that company's business, I might say, well, how can we tie this to that person's entire um, history with our brand? Do they uh, have vehicles that they already own that may need service? What are the specials that we're offering at certain dealers? What are the consumer preferences that are, you know, um, predominant with people that live in their, their geographic area? And finding ways to use AI to enhance and connect those, enhance those experiences and connect those experiences across various parts of that auto brand's business. And that's just one example. And a computer may not today, at least to your point, maybe in the next five, 10 years, be able to make those connections or say, let's let's take our, uh, our, our, laser, our, our laser beam of technology and aim it at this, right? We're still the human beings that are aiming the laser of AI technology at a certain place and unleashing it, but that system or that AI engine may not know where to focus next. So there's still a lot to be said for the, the value that we as humans will bring to technology for the, the foreseeable future, at least in my view. Yeah, unless they develop and release ChatGPT, I mean, GPT-5 in two weeks, <laughs> then, then, we, then it's probably over. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the, you know, the uh, <laughs> it's going more, it's Moore's right law, right? I mean, there's yeah. uh, the whatever the next iteration of uh, generative AI may be, uh, you know, replacing uh, the various C levels of these technology firms and replacing yeah. people like Henry. And, and uh, you know, I'm going to be Biagio uh, as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 So the, the last thing I, I kind of want to like cover here real fast, Henry, because the element of, of the consulting, uh, let's say, sphere that, that you work in, um, what keeps you in that one? So consulting, you're kind of you're kind of everything to everyone, but nothing to no one. But like to trying to get up, like it seems like you have to navigate a lot of different things. It, what is uh, something that may be frustrating as someone who's maybe starting out in consulting or getting their first job in there? And then what, what's kept you there? What, what keeps bringing you back? Yeah. Um, well, I, I can say that uh, the thing that most commonly comes up to folks, and in fact, I was uh, you know just mentioning before we hopped on here that I uh, just finished a, a kind of a final interview with someone we're going to have joined that uh, has a deep technical background, but's never been in consulting. Um, I think one of the things that 
excuse me, I think one of the things that um, is consistent is if you're in consulting and you're not, uh, let's say, in a company with a similar role, you know, tasked with, let's, let's just say you're a software developer at a firm versus a software developer for a consulting company working at that firm, you may not see a project from start to finish. You may not have the uh, cultural connections and insight into what's going on at that company to the same level that you would if you actually work there. And I actually think that you can apply this to just being new in a job. Um, on the consulting side, I guess, you know, I've seen and been in those shoes where a project begins, you get assigned to, a, uh, to that project uh, on behalf of the consulting firm, and you take it to a certain point and you may move on to another project and another client. So you don't get to see what you're doing through to its conclusion. And as human beings, we get a little bit of a dopamine hit when we finish a task, right? So um, you may be, you may feel slightly unfulfilled by that, I guess I would say. Um, the flip side of that coin to me, and this partly answers the why are you still here is, you're not necessarily married to the company that we're doing work for as a consulting firm long-term. You may work on a project or for a client for three months, six months, nine months, two years, never really know. And most likely your responsibilities at that, that client are gonna constantly be evolving um, over a longer period of time. And so, you know, the, 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 the positive or silver lining um, of that end of it is, you know, that company that you go work for as a consultant, they have fantastic culture, great leaders, uh, and they may not, and the, the task you're assigned to may be super interesting, or it could be really boring and mundane. And you might say, man, I can do this with my eyes closed. And so, you know, the upside is you're not going to be doing it forever um, in the consulting world. Uh, and so I guess I would say that that's, that's one of the key differences. There are others, um, depending on kind of the role and, and the, the function that you have within a consulting firm. Um, but what I've seen people kind of tackle and struggle with um, that is not consulting specific, but is technology specific, I guess, is, and maybe it's not even tech specific, it's just more to, uh, aligned to people starting their career. Sometimes people get assigned to a task and it is kind of boring. It's not as intellectually stimulating as you would prefer. And the advice I've always had for others, because I got this advice is just do the best you can to excel and show that not only can you do more, but you can do that task you've been assigned really well. Um, and that quickly will establish trust and uh, reliability and folks will wanna give you more. And by the same token, let them know that you can do more. You know, there are people that innate, innately ask for challenges and ask and seek out new, new uh, activities or new things to do that will push them outside their comfort zone. And those are the people that, at least in my experience, tend to learn the fastest is because they're asking for new things. I am incredibly blown away by that answer. So thank you very much for explaining that. Uh, and and my last, last question for you, Henry, and it's kind of one where we we tend to land on uh, when when we're talking to someone with with your kind of range of experiences. Uh, for for someone just starting out, maybe maybe again looking for internships or things like that. Um, 
or looking back at yourself and, and where you've come from, what's, what's a piece of advice or a tidbit of experiential knowledge that, that you'd really like to convey there? Not that you haven't, you've done a lot of that, but if there was something <laughs> that you're like, oh, I really wish this would, would be of told to me, that would have helped out a, a lot. Yeah, well, so I will say this. Um, I This is a piece of advice that was told to me. I think I just didn't listen or internalize it. So, <laughs> but now I realize it to be true. And this isn't even like the, oh, my parents were all right all along. I'm one of those, right? But, um, you know, I think it's, I, I referenced this earlier and I think it's proven to be true. Um, and I just learned this through kind of bumps and bruises along the way in, in my career is that there's, almost never a straight line in what you're focused on or where you want to be. Um, I mean, I was convinced when I was in the OMIS program that I wanted to go write code. And, uh, you know, I, I still remember distinctly to the day, one of the classes that I took um, was with uh, Chang Lu, who apparently is the chair of the OMIS department now, which is pretty neat. I didn't learn that till I was kind of getting familiarized with, um, uh, with things before this call. But, you know, I think you never know where you're going to end up. So I came out and wanted to write code. And I thought that was the coolest, most exciting thing ever. And within six months to a year, um, I was still doing it, but realized, Jesus isn't necessarily um, checking the box in the way that I, I thought I would. I don't feel as fulfilled as I thought I would. And that's okay. So I think that the the piece that I would impart or encourage everyone to just keep in mind is, your first job or your first internship uh, may not be what you're going to do forever, but there are always things you can learn, whether it's about the role itself or the company that you're working at or the industry they're in, or, you know, frankly, as down to as far down uh, as you can get into like learning how to work with challenging personalities, learning how to, let's say, present or uh, lead a meeting or properly take notes for others or understand requirements. And um, so I guess that that would be the, that would be my main piece of advice is wherever you start out, it's not necessarily going to be where you end up. And I can say that's been true for me and for people that I've worked with. Um, and I will actually, if it's okay, Russ, I have one other piece of advice because I got Please. this from one of the mentors I had um, when I worked at Accenture. And I share this one uh, with others. So there are just inevitably going to be times career-wise where you feel burnt out and frustrated and think, man, my boss doesn't appreciate me or this task I'm working on is boring. Um, and that's normal. And I think that would be the other piece of advice I would say to people is that you're not always going to feel every day like this is the most amazing job or the most amazing task that you're assigned to. And the advice that this one uh, guy who was a, a career counselor and mentor to me probably 15 years ago said is like, that's always going to happen. So if you, you need to be able to step back and have the perspective to say, is this how I feel this day or this week or even this month? And if it's in that time span, you know, you got to kind of force yourself to let things roll off your back and not be impatient and always look, you know, immediately for validation in the next step, but just understand that it's a, again, not a straight line from A to B always. And if you step back and you feel like, man, I'm just really not fulfilled and it's been six months or three months or a year, then maybe it is time to think about maybe I should be doing something different, whether it's the same company or a different job, or uh, you know, maybe I should be thinking about a different kind of career path to try. 
but I think that patience and that um, understanding that it's not always going to be of direct line will serve um, anyone well. And at least it has served me and the folks that I work with pretty well. Henry, I think that is a perfect landing for this episode. I, I'm incredibly grateful for your time and your wisdom that you shared in all different areas of, of your background. I, I know anyone listening is going to take away something from you. They, again, they might not listen to it, but hopefully it'll it'll at least help and, <laughs> and give them some guidance through that. So again, Henry, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure having you today. Yeah, Russ and Biagio, thank you. I will just say that uh, I'm really excited to see that NIU is doing some great things, especially uh, the College of Business in Omis, because I um I wouldn't be where I am today without kind of the foundational things that I learned during that program and some of the experiences I had and people I've met. So I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you guys. Uh, we, we are happy to hear that. And thank you so much for those kind words. Thanks again, Henry. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Please make sure to subscribe to The Gateway. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. And if you are so inclined, please feel free to give us those five-star ratings, which help allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests to the gateway. Thank you all for listening. And remember to love always the promise of tomorrow today.